Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. And I'm Rich Trapier. And this is episode 41 of History on the Table. Rich, we've got so much news to kick off the show tonight. It's going to be a busy one. So much news. Is there anything about any uh, historic festivals that you know anything about? Oh, sure do. Historic Fest. I've heard of that. You have. You've been there. I am already I've registered for next year. That <laughs> that brings great joy to my heart. Yeah, I mean, really, um, there was some like pre-registration stuff, uh, but you were the first one in this year. Was I really? I thought I was. Uh-huh. I saw it was number six, but I figured a few were like you and Nate and whoever else. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, so that's awesome. So that was like a soft launch of Historic Fest. I don't think we've recorded since we've announced the official dates. Yeah, I don't think so. I think it was just a couple weeks ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we announced the dates, finalized the contract. We are returning to uh, the same venue. Holiday Inn in Overland Park. Which is good. It was great. Yeah, I thought they did it. I mean, the Green Mill is kind of disappointing. <laughs> I never went, but uh, I, that's that's the, that's the what I heard from everyone that did go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's plenty of other options around. So we're back in the Holiday Inn, and the dates are, are you ready for this? August 17th through the 20th. And if you want to count real quick, yes, that's four dates. Wow. Not three. We're kicking off on Thursday evening, 5 o'clock, 5.15. day of vacation. Well, here's the deal. I figured, wh- when did you get in uh, last year? Did you get in on Friday or did you get in on Thursday? No, I actually did get on Thursday. I was originally planning on coming Friday, but then uh, I don't even know why I switched it, but we decided to come up Thursday. And say, oh, I know, because it was Mizzou's move-in day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's right. To that's just right. leave from Mizzou, so. Yeah. So, uh, everyone, if you're, I mean, most people, what we found is by the end of the day, Sunday, everyone leaves. So we dropped some of the time there's no way we would ever use on Sunday evening. We cut that off and asked if they'd put that in on Thursday, and they said, sure. Yeah. Um, so now we're, we're kicking off uh, Thursday at 5, running through, through Sunday, August 17th to the 20th. And by the time you hear this, registration is officially open. Like I said, we had a soft opening just to make sure everything was ironed out, but registration's open, and we have an early bird discount this year. Excellent. Like I said, I'm I'm on there, so we have we have events already, um, so it's cool. We'll we have plenty of time to discuss all the cool stuff that's going to happen this year. Yeah, but for now, we'll just focus on on the registration. Yeah, I was considering teaching a game next year just to you know contribute oh, nice. a little bit, and I have no idea what even. Who knows? <laughs> Maybe Pacific War. <laughs> I was actually I was talking to Mitch at an, an event, so yeah. we're still ironing out you know always improving next war it's hard to do a game of that size and scope in three days two and a half days and so he's at an event a ask me anything with the designer next war it's prequel and i was like i'm already thinking about what i want to play on thursday night knowing damn well that we have 10 months to go and that's gonna change so that's historic fest historicfest.com there'll be a link in the show notes both to the official website as well as a registration page we're using tabletop events as well another announcement that i'm pretty excited about is we are kicking off the historical board game awards this is huge not that historic fest isn't but this is new so this is new we knew historic fest was coming we just had to get all the final contract signed 
historical board game awards are a new set of awards that will come out on an annual basis they are different and very distinct from what you and i do at the end of the year because our end of the year is the best we enjoyed from the year it can be a game from 1983 that makes our list here as long as 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 long as it's something we did that year Right, exactly. So, the Historical Board Game Awards uh, award excellence in historical gaming design intended to be broader in in the definition of historical games than, than narrow, so encompassing more than just war games, more than, you know, Hex Encounter War Games. And there's three awards. There's the Game of, the game of the Year for outstanding performance in all game design fields and just the best game from the previous year. Of, of those eligible we have the most innovative game design so the game and design team that has done something creative and innovative in game design it's self-explanatory and the one that's not self-explanatory is the anglo zanzibar award <laughs> so the anglo zanzibar war lasted less than 45 minutes and is considered the shortest recorded war in history and so the anglo zanzibar award recognizes the best small board game and that can mean a magazine game, a postcard game, something like the GMT lunchtime games, just as an example. Any kind of small format like game like that uh, is eligible. So there you go. We'll, that process will kick off officially in January mm-hmm. with the first round of ballots going out to the judges. And then we'll close with a, with a public vote that counts for a certain percentage of the total vote. You can check out all the details, historyonthetable.com. There's a new tab for historical board game awards. That'll give me an excuse to play some new games. Yeah, I mean, there's so many that come out. It's, especially with war games, I'll be the first to admit that it's unrealistic to even think that you would play them all. Right. <laughs> I mean, how many magazine, how many obscure <laughs> magazines come out? But what are goal and approach is is to have a wide representation of different historical game media persons so they have to have a blog a youtube channel a podcast something of that effect to be eligible to be on the the judging committee and you've got such a large number that you're going to get that you know everybody every game that is out there will have gotten played by some of them that's the goal i mean I, i certainly hope so at least the ones that you would expect to kind of rise to the top, sure. right? So there you go, Historical Board Game Awards. Yeah. I'm looking forward to being a part of that. That's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun process. Like I said, ballots will go out in, at the end of January to our judges. They'll have a couple of weeks to vote, and then we'll turn around and do a fan vote and then have the announcement shortly after. Okay, so finally, before, you know, Rich, tonight's a big night. Because we're talking about Korea, which is a game that I have teased ranking and wanting to get on every war game ever list for years now. Yeah. And you've played it before this month, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. But we're not even there yet. We have more announcements. And this (laughs) is also something I'm very excited about. And I am very much stealing the idea from Dads on a Map. They and other podcasts have done this as well. They're just the most recent in my knowledge are running they ran a community top 20 games of all time and so it's ranked choice voting they've just asked everyone to submit hey send us your list of your top 20 games ranked 1 to 20 we'll assign point values to it and so we're doing the same thing 
and that will run through November 17th. You have to be either a patron or a member of our Discord to submit your your entries. Yeah. And uh, if you're and not, you, have two you weeks should. To do that. Yeah, exactly. Discord's I mean, awesome. the Discord's free. Like, you should just get in the Discord and yeah. then let us know your top 20. Yeah, Discord is, like, my main social media now. It is, yeah. I mean, not just for wargaming, but for other stuff I do as well. Agreed 100%. I mean, it's just such a great way to communicate with different communities and like i have i also just have discords with just like buddies that aren't like game communities or something like that for the for the war gamers out there mcgrognards (laughs) i'll have you know that at last tabulation a war game was not winning as top game do you have any guesses that what's currently in first place rich i know what it's not a war can i still guess anyway I'm going to guess Ticket to Ride. No. Is it close? Is that a good hint anyway? Uh, <laughs> barely close? I don't know. Like, closer than if you would have guessed ASL. Yeah. It's 1830, right? Maybe. I thought that's what it was up. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I know. Maybe I don't. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. I haven't announced it anywhere, so. Okay. I have hinted that it's a train game. So 1830 is probably a safe bet. Yeah. So, all right. That's it for news. Unless you have news. I'm so sorry. Do you have news, Rich? Uh, no. No, nothing we need to talk about here. <laughs> <laughs> the Blues are currently getting their asses kicked. <laughs> by uh, by Patrick's favorite team? <laughs> yes, yeah. The Canadians? Patrick's newly found Canadians team. Ooh. You know what we should do at the end of the episode is, uh, so, oh yeah, it's spooky season too, and oh, every yeah. year we've done a spooky season talk, and so we gotta do that. We should, maybe we should predict who wins each division of the NHL or, or something like that, or we can save it for next time, but. Yeah, we'll save that one. Alright, fair. Okay, let's, let's do our thing. Let's talk about some games that we got on the shelf. Oh, Excellent. So I've got one that's not a war game, and the main reason I put it up here is because I have no idea who gave it to me. <laughs> you still haven't figured out who? No, no one ever. Huh. No one ever came forth. But a uh, package showed up on my door this week, and uh, it's got my name on it and everything. It's but no return address, and it's a nicely packaged uh, Alien Fate of the Nostromo. It's a. I, I've seen Mitch play this game before. It's a little. Mini- co-op miniatures survival game um, so I'm looking forward to playing it but I have no idea who gave it to me so if you gave me this game thank you very much and uh, you could let me know that you gave it to me or it can just be a mystery forever well that's that's awesome was it open <laughs> like was it a, a no, played no, copy it's like new I mean Brand it's new? a new game I have no idea <laughs> so weird. weird did it have like a receipt included <laughs> nope nope I, uh, it's it's a huge mystery Maybe Krampus came early. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'm I'm of no assistance here. Yeah. It was not me. Yeah, and the other game, which is actually kind of similar, um, is actually Blue Cross White Ensign, which is funny because I actually did buy this one, but I bought it, I want to say, not that long ago, two, three weeks before it arrived, and I had just completely forgot that I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> so, And he even told me at the time when I paid him, he's like, I'm not going to get this out right away. I said, it's no hurry at all. Literally, I'm not going to play this game in the next month at least, so don't worry about it whenever you get it. And sure enough, it showed up on my door. I'm like, 
Oh yeah, I do remember buying that. So um, Blue Cross White Ensign is the the second expansion or the third entry maybe in the um, Flying Colors series. So it's got uh, I think it's got Russian Navy and I don't remember who else, but I've got I've got one and I've got three now. So if you've got two, hook me up. <laughs> uh, Sweden and Turkey are the other, oh, is that which who is, it is awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, not who not who my first guess would have been, yeah. but. Um, so what's the, is it standalone rich or do you need, um, pass, like, do you need the main flying colors copy or can you just get blue cross white instant just like, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I just, (laughs) (laughs) I just know that, you know, when it came up, it was a really good price and I'm like, you know, I've already got flying colors. It is the year of Naval war gaming. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and add to that one. It's not the first time I've bought an expansion before I played the original. So very good. Yeah. Well, speaking of naval gaming, <laughs> I had a game shipped to me across the seas via Kickstarter. Uh, that's John Company, second edition, which I cannot nice. wait to play. So did you get uh, PAX Premier with it or not? So I did not, okay. uh, which I regretted when I did the Kickstarter. I regretted not kicking <laughs> PAX Premier second edition. And then I was like, I regret this. And then our buddy Zach... Um, who's been at Historic Fest, he's a member of the KC group, all that stuff. He sold me an extra copy of PAX Premier 2nd Edition. So I I already have PAX Premier. Okay, cool. Yeah, so have this you is... Have at like at, at all? Because I've never played it. No, but okay. I've started going through stuff because it comes with like the lid off. Like There's so much stuff in there, the lid doesn't fit until you like okay. get things organized. Okay. So I started organizing it, and I've had a couple opportunities to play over the last two weeks but it just it just hasn't worked out and so the second edition is a pretty big overhaul of the first edition but the short of it is is you are you represent different families and you're trying to rise up through and use the british east india company for your family's wealth or you know legacy i guess so what's Uh, the i guess victory conditions you trying to make money or how's that work uh, actually, I think it's something like reputation as well. Like money is obviously important as well. Okay. But again, I've only really just started sorting it. Um, so this is a cool, cool Whirly design. It's from Whirly Gig, Whirly Gig Games. Mm-hmm. Very, very hyped. And I'm very, very excited. This Look, this game I, I think is going to receive a lot of like hype this year. Nice. Well, we should play. Hey, how many players is that? Is uh, it- one to six. Maybe that'd Best be a good with Columbia four to five, game. or our other little secret rendezvous. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was it yeah, for me. I definitely want to play that game, so that'd be great. Nice. Yeah, and that was it for me. Cool. Yep. Quiet month. Yeah, just the two for me. So, I've I went ahead and pre-ordered a couple more, but we'll talk about those when they arrive. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. There's there's so many things like in shipping delays yeah. <laughs> and Cthulhu Cthulhu Wars will someday arrive on my doorstep. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about some books. And again, not necessarily a quiet book on the reading front, but all of my one book I'm going to talk about when we do our recommended reading for Korea. Yeah. And the other stuff has been spooky season stuff. But I did start as my Korea read. It's not necessarily a recommended reading for it because I've... It's pretty dry. I, I do find it interesting. Basically, um, well, the book is The War for Korea, 1945 to 1950 by Alan Millett. And then there's a second book, which then covers like 
the Americans coming into the war. So like oh, okay. 1950 I was to 1951. Ask about that because the, the years look right. odd. <laughs> they, they certainly do. And so it's a two part series. I have both books and it's just, it's a lot more detail than the book. I think you're going to talk about and excuse me, I will talk about later, which is the coldest winter, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I did read The Coldest Winter, which was... Yeah, that was a segue. That's a, a segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use those foreign words on me. Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, the Coldest Winter, and I think that's like one of the books listed in OCS Korea. I can't remember for sure, but I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I actually started reading the Max Hastings Korea book, mm-hmm. and I quickly realized, not that it was not good, but that's not what I wanted. Um I wanted something. So the Max Hastings book, I think, which usually I'm, I love the personal stories, but because I just don't know that much about the Korean war, I actually wanted more of an overview of the situation in the war and the coldest war, the coldest winter did a great job of that. So yeah, that's by David Halberstam. Um, I did read that one and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So yeah, look, let's talk about it now. That's going to be probably a recommended reading for, yeah korea it's five out of five for me yeah yeah it was it was good i mean it it had a lot of interesting background information specifically about the chinese and the russians and uh i mean great coverage of the terrible american military leadership Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it's good what i what i particularly liked is you know there would be a a little bit of discussion about this particular battle or this the fighting on uh at the pusan perimeter Mm-hmm. Yada yada yada, but then he sprinkles that in with all of this detail on the key uh, characters. Yeah. And what's interesting is a lot of those characters obviously are World War II characters that you hear about in all your World War II reading, and you don't necessarily always like what happened to them. Obviously, there's individuals that really rose almond, right? Like he yeah. was a Korea person, but like he spends a lot of time talking about uh, what's his name, MacArthur. Yes, thank yeah, you. Sure. Yeah, uh, for I some mean, reason the, I was thinking Kevin McAllister. Yeah, which... <laughs> yeah, it's more of a high level, at least high level, not like ten thousand foot view. But it, it's not about the boots on the ground guys. It's more about in this one that the generals and you know, yes, the the high level guys that were often making terrible decisions and <laughs> covering up Carter. for their friends' terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah, and like you said, I also like that it. Uh, so it is very american centric like the full title is america and the korean yeah. war but it does talk a little bit about north korea and north korea's interactions and relationships with both china and russia uh so gr- a great book i 100 percent recommend it even if you're not going to play ocs or another korea game it's just a good book five yeah. out of five for me absolutely what else have you been reading Another one I read, and this was uh, a short little book. It's actually listened to it on Audible, and it was free on Audible. It was called Spymaster. It just looked interesting to me. It's by Tennant Bagley, who is an American uh, that worked for the CIA. And he's not listed as an author on this, but it's it's actually written by a Russian guy, um, Sergei Kondrashov. Uh, but if you look for the author of the book, it's Tenet Bagley. And obviously, Kondrashov was a KGB guy. And Bagley and uh, Kondrashov really kind of got to know each other at the end of their careers. And then Kondrashov wanted to write his memoirs. And he was still, I mean, he didn't defect or anything like that. He was still living in Russia. And so obviously, he had to be very careful about what he wrote. Um, and originally, 
you know, he wrote this book with the Bagley and Kondrashov wrote it together and he, they got KGB approval. They got state approval and it was about to be published. This is like early 2000s or something like that. And then Putin came in power and basically like revoked all the permissions and everything. Mm. He's like, nope, it, everything is still a secret. We can't talk about secrets from 1948. So, <laughs> mm. and then um, I think... I can't remember the exact year, but like 2012, 2015, something like that, um, Kondrashov died. And Bagley is like, well, screw you. I don't need Russia's permission. So <laughs> he just went and published it, published it himself. Um, it sounds more interesting than it actually was. Oh. <laughs> there were a couple really interesting stories about some background stuff that happened in Europe. But for the most part, Kondrashov wrote it still knowing that he was planning on living in the Russian intelligence community, even though he was retired and he didn't really give the good stuff that I was hoping for. So pulled his punches. Yeah, exactly. It was okay, but it was, it was not what I was expecting. So nice. And looks like you, you finished something as well. Yeah. The other book, and I've read this one before this is actually the second time through, but I wanted to read this one with my wife devotion by Adam Makos, which also fits in with Korea. Uh, it's a story of don't want to give away spoilers or anything, but a couple uh Korean war U S pilots um, and their, their friendship and their, their service together in Korea. Um, just fantastic book. Um, the reason I reread it with my wife is that uh, the movie is coming out next month. Mm-hmm. So um I'm hoping that the movie does it justice, but never quite trust that. The book is really good, though. Nice. Well, that's, yeah. that's some good reading by us this month. And we're not even done talking about books because we got yeah. scary ones. But <laughs> let's talk about some games. All right, one of my favorites from last year. I'm back to playing on a regular basis with, with Doc, Bayonets, and Tomahawks. Yeah, you were playing this the same night I was playing a game. The other day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this covers French Indian War. If you're if you're unfamiliar, it is card driven, but not you're not really managing a hand. You have a choice between two cards. Um, basically, every time you go to activate, it's very light, and it's if you don't remember, this game uses different shaped pieces, and the interaction between you know trained regulars versus yeah. militia versus Indians versus artillery is all this really interesting exchange. You can win battles, but you may not inflict losses. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the perfect battle, if you're going on the offensive, is something where each of your units has a corresponding shape on the other side, so you have all the right targets. Mm-hmm. You asked us that night, um, or this week, when we when we ran into each other in the uh, Discord voice <laughs> yeah. channels, you said, oh, like, Brotherhood and Unity, in the sense of, like, a lighter card-driven game? Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good comparison. Both are light... Both have different combat, you know, like your defense eats the attacks in Brotherhood and Unity, and here you're you're playing this shape game. For what it's worth, I like this quite a bit more, and at some day we'll rank this in the game you're about to talk about, and I think it'll be interesting to compare yeah. them against each other, and so you should go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, so actually, before we do that, quick question. Do you think mm-hmm. you're going to throw... BNT on the rankings in December, or do you want to wait and make it a featured game? No, I want to wait. This should be a okay. featured game. It's good enough to maybe like it'd be cool to do a a double feature with okay, Wilderness sure. War. 
All right. So yeah, Wilderness War, which I'm playing on Rally the Troops, um, just a fantastic website, which is going to get even better because it's going to have Nevsky on there before too long. Yes. Um, but yes, so I remember hearing a story about a guy that was new to wargaming <laughs> and he found this game called Wilderness War and he thought that he could just jump right into the game without reading the rule book. And it was yes. a huge mistake. <laughs> it sure was. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Except what? I'm not even new to wargaming. <laughs> I tried to jump into this game, like, skip, barely skimming the rule book, And quickly, I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on here. I'm so lost. I'm getting completely run over. I can't win a single battle. I don't know what's going on. So I'm playing it. But it's just, like, so unfair for me to even talk about this game that uh, I'm <laughs> my second play. I'm going to make sure I read the rulebook for. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I'm an idiot. And it's so funny because like as I'm doing it, I'm like, yeah, Matt said he did this exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And here I am. Such an idiot. Okay. So at, that's, at least that's my have... review of Wilderness War so far is that it's not good to play it without reading the rulebook. <laughs> you at least have <laughs> like... Right. Experience under your experience belt now. in general. And that's right, what I right. was planning on falling back on, and it's not working. <laughs> no, that's how you lose your whole army because you yeah. didn't build supply routes for yeah. your. And yeah. I'm trying to go like get reinforcements in, and I've got to go like. It feels like Quebec to the front lines is like 19 <laughs> spaces, and I don't have that many cards in my hand. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Nice. A little trickeration wrench. I like it. Yep. All right. Well. So, um, I was going to talk about this later, but real quickly, I'll mention that, and we'll give the details later, Kansas City Historical Gaming Group is back in Excellent. Kansas City. I was supposed to be there today playing Second Fleet, but I have some like awful food poisoning going on. So, like right now, I'm switching back between g- ginger ale and hot tea, and like my stomach is, is killing me. Other than that, I feel more or less fine. But anyways, so I did not go, but I did... Since I was already planning on being away, I just set up the first scenario of Second Fleet. It was really nice when I started to reread the rules this week. A lot of it came back to me. And you open the rule book, and the Fleet series is just like walls of text. And I was like, oh boy, how did I, how did I process this information before? <laughs> but it's actually... A very well written rule book, and there's nothing overly complex. Yeah. What's what's nice about Fleet is it takes the okay, here's the base rules, here's some scenarios, and those scenarios ramp up. So you'll just have boats. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you'll have boats in air. Okay, now you'll have boats air and submarines. Okay, now you can go to the intermediate, and okay, now you can go to advanced, and there's all kinds of optional rules you can um you can ro- rotate in. So start I won't go into like thoughts and stuff because next month's featured game is Second Fleet, but I'm will just say I am jazzed and very excited to be back to the fleet series. Yeah. I'm about halfway through rules and the game, the the map at least is on my table, but that's as far as I've made it so far. So you like, what do you think of the rules so far? Yeah. I mean, so far so good. It's, it's well-written. It, it doesn't look complicated. Yeah. Right. It looks very, fairly straightforward. So yeah. Yeah. It, I, I think it is. So, um, Started pushing around Second Fleet, and the hype for next month is real. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
the other game I've been playing. So actually a listener re- reached out to me and I think he had heard me talk about Paths of Glory and I was frustrated. It's not quite the right word, but I feel like I haven't been able to really play this game because I've had a few games start and stop and can never get past like the second or maybe third turn. He's like, well, let's do it. He's learning it too. So we started playing this with the intention of like making it into the late game and seeing how it went. And like, it, it could not have gone worse for me. Like if, if we didn't roll dice, we just picked what number it, we're going to roll. And I did as poorly as possible. Like <laughs> literally before the first turn was over, the French had lost like five entire armies or we're going to because of out of supply. He like, he rolled nothing but sixes or rolled nothing but ones. And I was super busy at work and I was very frustrated and the whole thing was over email. So I, I hope, I hope he didn't take any offense or anything, but I was very pissy uh, and I don't think I said anything like rude or anything, but like in the, my mind, I'm like, this game is just fucking stupid. But now that I've calmed down and realized that we're probably not going to roll those dice again, we're going to we're going to try it again. So nice. Yeah. So I just pass the glory. It's like, yeah, let's play a long game. And before turn one is over. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I resign. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I've got a GMT game, but this is, and that's its only qualification to get talked about right now. Usually we save Euros to the end, and this is a Euro-ass Euro game. And that's no, I think dominance. we said at one point, everything GMT does is a war game. Okay, well, that checks out. <laughs> Dominant Species Marine. This is a Euro game where you pick a species and you vie for control. It's like area majority area control mm-hmm. uh, with victory points. And there is a whole menu of actions. I think there's something like 14 different actions you can take. But they're ranked top to bottom. And without some kind of rule-breaking cards or whatever, generally speaking, you cannot place a... Essentially, it's a worker. It's basically a worker placement game. It's not a worker. You're using pawns to pick your action. You cannot place a pawn earlier in the sequence chart than where you go. So, like, you can jump way ahead and take the action you really want. But you can't go above where you've just placed. And so it's it's a nice little like planning. I want to do this, this, and this. I really want to do this first, but it's going to cut off these other things. And there's some things you can do to like manipulate and, and go back and do something you really want to do. We got through half a game. We played on uh, Discord. And we're going to go back and, and finish it up. So as did soon you play Vassal or... We did Vassal. Okay. Yeah. Have and the Vassal module's pretty dominant good. species? The, the original? I have not. Okay. I played that one, but I haven't played Marine. I didn't know if they were wildly different or just like the water theme instead of land theme. Yeah, I think they are um, a good amount different. Okay. And also, I think Dominant Species is a little less forgiving in like the the planning. Like you have a mega pawn that lets you kind of like back up mm-hmm. before where you activated. And I don't think that's anything equivalent to that's in Dominant Species. But um, I love this. Again, only halfway through a game, but the the activations are cool. You know, watching your species like you can you can focus and specialize in all these different different types of habitats. And to me, that seems like the game's gonna play differently each time. Yeah, uh, I really liked it. I'm looking forward to wrapping this up. Yeah, I, I played the original twice, I think, and it's been a while. So like definitely pre-covid maybe five years ago i can't remember um and it was fun i enjoyed it so nice yeah 
the other game I've been playing is ASL Starter Kit. Um, we've been actually it's another listener we uh we've been playing once a week and i'm just he he doesn't know asl at all so i've been teaching him uh we played the the first scenario and he actually beat me and then this we're in the middle of the second scenario now which i was doing really well until his reinforcements showed up so um it's just so much fun i I love asl and you know starter kit we're probably going to skip the third scenario just because i don't enjoy it that much but we'll we'll keep going and you know start making our way through the starter kits add the guns in add the vehicles and stuff like that but yeah we're playing basically weekly on that as long as we can both make it and great time nice yeah well i'll just really quickly mention rob and i are continuing our game of salerno 43 yeah which impresses me i think your opening moves are incredibly important in is that as the allies or as either as the germans oh, okay because i feel like if you lose all the victory all the victory point cities not all mm-hmm. most of the victory point hexes are within a few hexes of the beachheads and so i think if you lose them as the germans i think your odds of getting them back are going to be really hard yeah and so i think you have to hold on get your reinforcements on before the like the the allied forces start reinforcing most of the reinforcements come in like turn five or six. Um, so I think you need to set those defenses, get reinforcements, fortify your supply lines. And I think if you mess that up again, we're not done, but that's the vibe I'm getting. Um, anyway, it's good. It's Mark Simonich, Zakban, Good stuff. Is that a one mapper? I have it, but I haven't yeah. played it yet. Yep. Okay, yep. cool. Nice. Nice. Well, those are our games, but we're not done playing games. There's one game left. There sure is. The game. The game of games. It's the game of war games. It's the war game game. Yeah. Come on down. How's this work, Richard? I'm I'm on the stage. I'm kind of bouncing and clapping, waiting my turn. You get to explain it. (laughs) Have you have you seen the Vine or the (laughs) uh, TikTok of the lady on Price Is Right where she loses? And she like doesn't know where to go off stage, so she like <laughs> she tries to go, and there's nothing. She can't walk back there, so then she kind of hides behind something. And like the meantime, Drew carries up there, and like this guy's spinning the wheel, and this lady's in the background, unsure where to go. I have not seen that. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know for some reason that made me think of it. You on stage, yeah. So I think of a war game as as much as like two weeks before, or as little as five minutes before we start recording. And I come up with some clues, and Rich, the more clues Rich gets, the less points he gets. So, uh, 10 clues, and Rich gets a free guess. And if he gets it without any clues, he gets 10 points. If he gets three clues, then he gets 7 points. Yeah, and I saved you the work. You don't need any clues, because I know what it is already. All right, give it to me. I got my game. Twilight Struggle. No. (laughs) All right. All right, I guess I need a clue then. This game was published by Victory Games. Central America. No. Okay. This game was published in 1983. Vietnam 65-75. No. No, that'd be too easy. This game was designed by Eric Lee Smith. Hmm. That's one of those names that I know, but I don't really know what he's done. I've heard it before. Um... Seems like a fleet game would be too easy, but I'm going to go with Seventh Fleet. No. All right. The artist was Ted Kohler and apparently the West Point Museum. I don't know about that. (laughs) That is no help at all. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 
Uh, let me think of another old victory game. Um, I don't know. I'll pass. I no okay. idea. That doesn't help. I can't think of the artist from 1983. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, this game features three theaters. Oh, okay. I sense a rhyme coming on. Though. And uh, I'll say three theaters and knowing what I know about the game, an optional fourth. Hmm. Let's see. Three theaters with an optional fourth. Um, I'm just making up stuff now. The Europe engulfed. No, no, no. Okay. This game is strategic scale. Well, I figured that when you said there were three theaters. <laughs> that seems like cheating on your part. Uh, I don't know. I think you're gonna have to rhyme this one. I think we're getting there. <laughs> okay, we're we're getting there. <laughs> this game is I don't know famous for, but is well known for its. Um, leader promotion and leader loss. Hmm. Trying to think of the name of it now. It's, uh, is it, it's obviously not the U.S. Civil War, but is it, is it just called the Civil War? You got it. Okay, there we go. I couldn't remember. The name was almost too easy. I I knew what game it was at that point, but couldn't remember the exact name. (laughs) Well, the exact name is the Civil War 1861-1865. Okay, there we go. The next clue was this game is not the best game ever made, <laughs> despite the name. Yeah, the leader promotion one is is the one that made me think sure. of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, once you start, I think once you say 1983 victory games, and then you actually start talking about specifics of the game. Sure. As the clue giver, of course, it seems easy, but I just think it's it, it's one that uh, I think could have been easy. So I, I danced around it yeah. for a little bit. Nice. Nice. All right. So what did I get? How many did it take? Seven? Publisher, year, designer, artist, theaters, strategic, leaders. I gave you seven clues. There we go. I got a three. It's better than... I didn't make it to the rhyme. Anytime you don't get to the rhyme, (laughs) I consider it a success. I bet there were some out there that... (laughs) Although we're not certain, but as soon as they heard Victory Games, might have... Might have... Yeah, I mean, there's not that many you know i mean i guess civil war I, i'm i didn't figure it i'd have to go through all the fleet games it wasn't vietnam so <laughs> yeah somebody got it somebody got it right there just they not sure me. did <laughs> there's 50 uh fleet games out there in case you're curious are there really yeah but i think some of those are like um what did i just say fleet games yeah no, I meant, sorry, Victory Games. Oh, okay. Games. Sorry. <laughs> I try to yeah, think. No. It's like a, a fleet game for the Mississippi River fleet. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, Victory Games in 1986 made a James Bond 007 assault game. Nice. <laughs> based off You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Uh, none of my geek buddies have rated it, but this looks amazing. Huh. I did play the 007 RPG in the 80s. I remember that. I have that. I bought it because one of the compendiums, um, I think, in Her Majesty's Service is like top notch stuff. Like it just adds so much cool stuff. Yeah. Nice. We'll get to RPGs later. Yeah, that's right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. All right. Let's talk. We've danced around it. I've wished for it for months or years. It's finally time to talk about Korea, the Forgotten War. Yeah. And here's here's what I thought we would do. A little bit different than what we normally do, Rich. I think we'll give our broad overview of Korea, the Korean War. Okay. And then... Not the game, but the... 
the war itself. Yeah, the set. Let's set the setting, okay. and then I think let's talk about big picture OCS stuff. Sure. What is OCS? And then yeah, Korea this one on its own is an OCS game. It's right. Kind of a I don't even want to say black sheep because that's like a negative connotation, but uh, it's a little different from the other OCS games. But if you play it, it's not that different. Right. Right. So Korea was originally published in 2003 and then got another edition in 2014. It's published by Multiman Publishing, designed by Dean Essig and Rod Miller. And as we've talked about several times, it is part of the Operational Combat series from the gamers. And obviously this is talking about Korea, the Korean War. And what I think is... So... Korean War broad picture is North Korea was convinced that they could unify Korea in one fell swoop without the United States getting involved. And they launched an assault to basically knock South Korea out very quickly. Like, yeah, to like no real supply lines and like they expected weeks. So a week long war. The or, book I read Spy Master. This was uh-huh. actually one of the interesting stories in there is they talked about breaking the American code so that they could read our communications. And basically the Americans sort of their official policy, although it was secret, was we don't really care about Korea. Our defense line is Japan. And the the Russians and the, the Russians heard that and um, you know, North Korea had been wanting to to invade um, Sung, Kim Il-sung, had, or, yeah, I see the current, I can't remember. Um, he had been wanting to invade, and, and Russia gave him their blessing. They're like, yeah, the U.S. is not going to do anything. So they were right. obviously wrong. <laughs> they they were wrong, and interestingly enough, and we'll get to it, is the U.S. was also wrong about China coming into the war. Because yeah. what ends up happening is Korea, kind of North Korea, kicks everyone's ass for a little bit the the south koreans retreat a whole lot and the american forces which is interesting they're actually u.n forces because and i picked this up from the uh halberstam book at the time russia was boycotting the security council and so when the united states asked for this to be a u.n operation to quantify or qualify all these units as u.n forces russia didn't vote on the matter and so the U.S. was able to basically call this a U.N. And so that's why they're U.N. forces, even though this was largely a South Korean and United States engagement. I had no idea until I read the book. So North Korea just steamrolls everyone. The U.S. forces are under-equipped. They're under-trained. The artillery is shit. And really, I don't think the air power has much of a impact, especially because a lot of the attacks come at night. And the North Koreans basically push the Americans and South Koreans to uh, Pusan, which is a harbor. And the United States draw up the Pusan perimeter. And another thing is that Halberstam mentioned in his book is the fighting on the Pusan perimeter doesn't get that much coverage, broadly speaking. But he contends like that's some of the most interesting aspects of the mm-hmm. Korean War because there were a whole bunch of like mini battles of the bulges. What ends up happening is Americans hold, reinforcements start coming in, better forces, and while the North Koreans are so far extended, the kind of last great thing that MacArthur does is he does an amphibious landing at Incheon. And then what the Americans thought was they were just gonna hold the status quo, you know, divide the country north and south. But with North Korea then kind of getting their ass kicked, they're like, well, let's keep going north. 
And that leads to Let's push them all the, the Chinese entering China. the war. And China said, <laughs> if you take one more step, we're coming into the war. And MacArthur took one more step. <laughs> and so then you get this counter push from the Chinese forces. And Howerson's book starts out when, with really the first battle that the Chinese are... Like, there were rumors of Chinese forces. Yeah. And, of course, they were Chinese volunteers. Yeah, and the inter- you know? <laughs> and they were, I mean, they were already in Korea also. Right. I mean, they right. were waiting for the excuse. Yes. Um, and then, so, then it kind of becomes, you know, broadly speaking, a stalemate. And eventually, you draw 38th parallel. I guess it already existed. And, yeah, I mean, U.S. kind of sticks their neck out there. And really suffer some really kind of humiliating defeats and yeah. encirclements. Yeah. And I think with the Korean War, I mean, the name of the game is Korea, the Forgotten War. It's called that because it kind of nestles in there in between World War II and Vietnam. And I think people don't think of it as as much as they should, given the amount of effort and bloodshed that was put into the war. Yeah. I'm Yes. Agreed. And s- since we're on the topic. Okay. So recommended reading the coldest winter america the korea war by david halberstam for sure the other one and i didn't list it is hampton sides yes uh, on desperate ground yeah yeah which i read earlier this year i think which is again that is just chosen but it does talk a lot about the interactions with macarthur and the landings at Incheon, and then eventually leading towards um the Chosen Reservoir. Yeah. That was outstanding. And Which that's the also recommended. Chosen Reservoir, if if you don't know, it's it's sort of the turning point of the war where the Americans got overextended, the Chinese came in and pushed back, and then the Chinese pushed quite a bit and the Americans pushed back again. And I mean, if you ever look at like animated maps of of wars they've got them for I've seen them for Civil War, I've seen them for World War Two, but the one for Korea is just crazy. I mean, because North Korea almost almost succeeded i mean they almost pushed right the south korean and american forces completely off the map and then almost got completely overrun themselves and then seoul got taken again and seoul got taken again i mean it's just crazy it it is it's 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 a very interesting war to study for for so many different reasons mm-hmm. incompetence poor yeah. leadership, poor supplies, but then also it it has this very interesting um, tug and war that where I mean like Korean surge, American surge, Chinese surge, and I haven't played that many Korean war games, but they all seem to like capture that somehow, and, and OCS Korea is yeah. no, which is good. It should capture that if you're going to model the whole war. Yeah, there are lots of good teeter-totter points that, right. that make good. for good gaming. Yes. It's not like not like, you know, Eastern Front World War Two, where often one side just completely blows over the other side and then they turn around and do it the other way. So. Right. Uh, one last book that has been on my one to read for a long time. If, if Chosen Reservoir is your GM, I've I've heard that Last Santa Fox Company by Bob Drury and Tom Clavin is also another classic on Excellent. the Korean War. Yeah, I think I saw that and I didn't have time to read it, but I think I saw mm. that one. Yeah, right. We, we can save these books for the day we get to the Korean War. Yeah. <laughs> the Balkowski one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That has the awesome picture of MacArthur on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to play that game. Yeah, me too. All right. So uh, we've painted the picture somewhat. Let's... So we're talking about OCS in general? 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so Operational Combat Series. Hopefully I got that right. Um, it's a <laughs> series by MMP that, God, what do they got? Probably 20 games now? Yeah, probably if you like drop reprints, yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, every game has like its own thing that it's trying to highlight and specialize and for OCS it's supply it's supply lines I mean there are little supply points on the map that you often have to move around in little trucks Mm -hmm. or sometimes in the case of OCS Korea you've literally got like people on foot carrying them around and it's different in every game it's cool um like um I can't remember like one of the North Africa games they've got like charcoal power powered trucks and stuff like that but sometimes you can do it on trains and it depends on the game but there's literal supply points that have to be moved around the map or thrown from a a headquarters unit or something like that Um, and you have to you have to use those anytime you move anything that requires gas so if your tanks your trucks want to drive uh, they got to use supply points. If your guys want to walk, that's fine. But, you know, walking is not always the effective way to move. And then anytime you want to attack or even defend at full strength, you have to actually spend supply points. If you don't have them to spend, you can still defend at a penalty, um, but you can't attack at all. So, you know, your guys can get held up while you have to recoup some supply. And really, if you read a lot about a lot of military campaigns, there's they weren't attacking all the time. They would attack in short bursts and then build up supply and do it again. And OCS does a good job of modeling that. Yeah, and I think I'll hone in on your word campaign there, which this so this is campaign based. You'll have a broad range of unit size going like all the way up to divisions, but generally speaking, they'll focus on one campaign as equally as important as supply. And I'll I'll add just real quick supply also pays for artillery like you can have really devastating artillery effects but that eats a lot of your supply and so building up and managing that supply not in a long game you probably don't want to dump eat supply every single turn you may actually want to build some up you know it's not this turn to attack like let's build up some supply or maybe not maybe you need to be overrunning and pushing as hard as you can to surround and cut forces off which ties into my next point that positioning and management of reserves is also i think a huge takeaway from ocs being able to manipulate your forces or being able to respond to your opponent's attempted advances by having your guys in the right mode often reserve mode to be able to react and you know plug gaps make sure you don't get surrounded if you get surrounded in this game You're like toast. And don't want to go into too much detail about OCS, but there are different modes that you put your units mm-hmm. in, and one of them is reserve. So you would have to have your declare ahead of time, at least at the beginning of the turn, these guys are in reserve, and they'll get to do some stuff later if I release them. But that's like my biggest weakness in OCS is I don't know who to put into <laughs> reserve. And I'm always like, oh, yeah, that guy should have been in reserve. Because <laughs> yeah, it'd be fact. nice if he was available to hit this hole now. <laughs> One, I guess we've talked about maybe some of the downsides of OCS is you go, I go, but um, our buddy Rex brought up a good point when we kind of talked about you go, I go on the discord is it's not true. You go, I go because the active player will move and before they conduct combat, the inactive player can react. Yep. They can, and there's they can different air. bombardment phases yes. that you can act in the middle of. Yeah. 
yeah, you can you can try to knock things out with your air. You can then, if you're the reacting player, you can use if you had something marked in reserve. You can see, oh, here comes his main offensive. This guy in reserve that's three hexes back. I see which hole I need to put him in. Yeah, or um, the defender can call in an artillery barrage at your spearhead and disrupt those guys before they, you know, come across the river or whatever. Yes, um, terrain. Well, you mentioned uh, river. Like terrain is obviously this level. Um, it's it's important. You're not talking building to building, but just broad terrain features are important. Yeah, and it's basically categorized in, it's like, basically, no terrain features at all or nothing that affects combat. There's close and very close, and right. they affect things like artillery barrages and, and movement and stuff like that. So it, it is broadly categorized, but it is in there. Yep. Um, I One characteristic of OCS is, like, these are these meaty, long tons of counter dense games and they seem really intimidating and they are but one thing that OCS has going for it and we've talked about it is it's on version 4.3 of the rule book meaning that even though the rules are very dense the rules are very well written oh, yeah. and the first time I read the OCS rule book I retained way more than I thought I would obviously I didn't retain everything but it looks like a beast OCS broadly I think it's actually relatively approachable yeah i mean broadly i think that's yeah it's if you have someone to teach you it certainly helps i mean i think you can you can pick it up and you can work your way through it like with any other game i think it's probably not best to read the entire rule book but read (laughs) the sequence of play and look things up as you need them i mean there are a lot of things that will need to be looked up particularly supply but again that's that's what the game is about is, right. you know, keeping your supply lines and making sure the right guys have bullets and gasoline when they need them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, and you've alluded to this, but not only do you have the actual physical supply, but then you have broad supply. Like you need to have a supply line and you need to have those bullets, which as you said, are represented on the map yeah. as well as being able to trace back or it's this whole concept of throwing and, and whatever, but yeah. basically have a supply line back to your HQ. Yeah, and then one thing that's actually unique to this game, Korea, um, is in, I think, every other OCS game that I've played, you get a certain amount of supply points on like a reinforcement schedule. So you're going to get 10 this turn and 15 this turn and stuff like that. In Korea, you actually get an unlimited amount of supply, but it's all in Japan. And you have to oh, figure out how US. to get it into Korea, <laughs> which I think is a really cool, unique thing that they did for this game. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our segue then. Yeah. Unless there's, are, are there any other broad strokes about OCS you want to hit on? I don't think so. I think we can talk about it in the context of this game. Sure. Because really, yeah, so, yeah go ahead. No, that's, so OCS Korea, what's, what I think is nice about Korea is there's a broad range of scenarios and I've started the campaign calling out paul four years ago or whatever (laughs) and we only got so far in and i intentionally chose not to mess with the campaign this go around i wanted to play as many small scenarios as i could yeah which is good because i think it allowed me to like refocus ocs i had built up this narrative in my head that oh ocs is so long and there's so much downtime there's some really good small ones in this game they're 
absolutely are. And that solves the problem. If you just play a small scenario, sure, it, it's still a lengthy game, but you don't have hundreds of forces you have to worry about. So it's it's really approachable. So that's like the my first, you know, you can get into the nitty gritty and like. Yeah, there's definitely some good small one map scenarios yeah. and even part of one map that are really good. And I think part of it is because of the ebb and flow of the war itself. Like I said, there's so many tipping points that yep. at any one of those tipping points, you got a good scenario right there. I haven't played the Busan one, but I would imagine that's a good one. It um, is. I played Ripper a couple times now, and that's basically like the fourth battle for Seoul. Um, and it's just, it's great. It's small. It's concentrated. It's got everything you need in OCS on part of one map. Yeah, I so I have played a number of them and the um the Pusan perimeter is called on the Noctong and that one is fantastic um and I'm actually I've started and will continue to play and do a YouTube series on on that perimeter on that um there is a Pusan perimeter one as well sorry okay so there's actually two of them uh but both of them are the they cover the high tide one is prior to the UN forces coming in and then the Pusan perimeter is a full-on campaign starting from Pusan and then doing Inchon shortly after. So there's a yeah. short little Pusan and then there's like a big long campaign starting at Pusan, which is also nice because then again, you go back to those theater titer points you're talking about. Those are built into campaigns. Mm-hmm. There's also a chosen scenario, which is great. I think the chosen scenario is a really interesting puzzle. Yeah. Um, that one I did not like as much, but it is interesting. Basically, that one is huge Chinese infantry units versus American air power. Yeah, and I just think it's I think if you don't I think the communist opening is crucial to that turn. And so that's kind of like yeah. that's what I mean by the the puzzle. Like I think if you don't do enough to the United States and the the Marine Corps there, I I think you lose yeah. as the Chinese. And so I think and that's why well, I think it's an interesting puzzle. They, they, I don't, I don't know that you can call it a loss. I mean, they killed what ten thousand Marines up there, but the Marines did escape. So right, most right. of them. Yeah. So I, I that's a great thing about Korea is just the broad range of. And I'm just checking real quick. Eleven, twelve, thirteen counting scenarios. Yeah, thirteen scenarios, yeah. which is good because this is on sale for thirty bucks right now yeah, on MMP's website. Yeah. Yeah, I got it on an MMP sale a few years ago. But you're talking about the invasion scenario. So the full map is, is, I mean, the full, there's three maps if you play everything. Mm -hmm. Um, There is an invasion scenario that's only two maps, um, basically because you're not, you're not going to be going north of the invasion area at all. It's where you would eventually for the full game. Yeah. but I actually like playing that one solitaire just because that's you know, there's not that many South Koreans on the map. They were not really prepared. There's basically no Americans on the map. And, you know, just it's an interesting exercise to to move your North Korean troops south and keep your supply up, keep it up to date, see if you can keep the momentum up. And honestly, that type of thing is where OCS shines, in my opinion, because 
what you're talking about is extended supply lines, moving mm-hmm. supply, keep an invasion going before you stall out and just can't do anything anymore because you're so far away from your supply sources and your enemies starting to reinforce. So I love the invasion scenario on this, but I've never played it two player. I've only done it solitaire. What's interesting, I think, about the supply lines in, in Korea is if you're, if you're going to do the whole thing, mm-hmm. which is 109 turns, is the supply lines, you have to move them up. Like, you have to move your supply heads up, especially if you're going to, like, I think it's interesting. It, uh, it's tempting for the Koreans to push along the East Coast, but you lose your roads. And so, like, it, right. it's it's kind of like a, it is a new, it, it's a new supply puzzle that, yeah doesn't always come up in in OCS games like generally speaking you can probably get back to your supply ho- source to be able to you know like throw a supply keep guys in supplies but the terrain of Korea I think um kind of changes that depending on which scenario you're playing yeah and the terrain is one that I've actually seen a couple complaints about and there's even an optional rule in there to make the terrain more difficult than it is in uh, on the map you know basically it says treat treat hills instead of it as as rough treat them as very rough and move everything up a, a level um just because the actual terrain in korea might be rougher than it appears to be on the map which would definitely slow things down as well it slows right. everything down if you have more terrain problems but even in the invasion scenario i mean obviously the north koreans are going to roll through but uh even as the defender you've got interesting choices to make because the main one is how hard do you want to defend seoul you know how many guys do you want to lose to delay that north korean attack you know if you lose too many then once they break through there's nothing stopping right. them anymore um and if you don't throw anybody up there then they just roll right through and have no delay to their timeline Nice. I think um, some other characteristics of, at least for the North Korean side, is you look at them and you'll be like, oh, look at this division that has a ton of firepower. And then you go to feed them for an attack. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, the North Koreans have these huge units that seem super strong, but they're very costly in supplying them for the attacks. Like, they're ground units, so you don't have to fuel them up. But to really make a strong attack, you need supply, and I think the North Koreans really struggle with getting supply everywhere they want to be as aggressive as they want. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, one other thing I wanted to say about OCS Korea specifically, um, I think it has some of the most interesting optional rules than some of the other OCS games that I've seen. Um, There are things like nukes are in the game that are not not in the base game there it's sort of an optional role there's you know what happens if the soviets give more support mm-hmm. and you end up having more of an air war because most of the later game stuff i mean really it's a, it's about huge chinese infantry units against american air power that's sort of the 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 main conflict toward the later stuff but if the soviets send in more air how does that work Uh, what if the chinese respond in a, a different way you know joining the game in a different time and stuff like that so there's some really interesting optional rules in the game that let you to do some alternate history if you want to call it that the one thing i wish this had was a random events table like beyond the rhine because it's so yeah. well done in beyond the rhine sure. that i i when i first played this i hadn't played beyond the rhine 
And then I did play Beyond the Rhine, and now that I'm like back to this, it's like oh, I, I kind of miss those the randomness to this because this yeah. game, if one side doesn't achieve total victory, I th- I think it has, and this is a little bit of a guess because obviously I haven't played the campaign. I think it's gonna follow the same plot line, unless you get like really lucky or you're really aggressive, right? Like I think you should see this game play out is my guess as the war itself. If yeah, you play the campaign. more or less, but, and I, right. going back to invasion scenario and supply lines and OCS being about supply, the, the North Koreans just can't go that far South. Right. I mean, you can make every, <laughs> every decision perfectly and, you know, stack your dice rolls if you want to, but you can't get that many guys that far South before the reinforcements show up and the, the the port so um yeah so it probably it will go historically that way but um it's it's i like that envision sarah i think it's interesting like i said solitaire only there's other ones i like playing two player better i like ripper quite a bit nice i also think i'll just throw out i think this is a great beginner and experienced ocs entry meaning you know like reluctant enemies and rightfully so is tossed around as a good intro to ocs I think this is as well, especially like if you're dealing with a scenario where you don't have to, not that they're that troublesome, but like aircraft carriers or, or ships or anything like that. Like, I don't think there's anything particularly tricky yeah. about I mean, the, OCS Korea. The naval stuff does not complicate it at all because you're not right. fighting naval battles. And a naval, no. naval, uh, an aircraft carrier in this game is just another airport that you don't have to pay supply for. <laughs> right which is nice (laughs) yeah so rich when you're playing ocs korea and you have aircraft carriers Uh and you have the option between navy planes and army (laughs) air force planes like which planes do you put on the aircraft carriers i like to put the army planes on the aircraft carrier that's what i heard a little bit alternate history (laughs) that's what i heard from a little birdie (laughs) you heard about that huh yeah yeah i think that would make me get my shell back card back (laughs) (laughs) so for me I think one of the questions that needs to be answered is does this live up to the expectation as my favorite OCS and I think we'll get there I really like this Uh, did you have any negatives or broad opinions on whether it's good or bad Mm. (laughs) I don't have any negatives on it no I mean it's it's a great game I guess so the only negative I would say is negatives about OCS in general. Um, it's fiddly, you know, it, it taking a truck and, and driving supply down the road can be annoying sometimes. Um, just in general, BCS has sort of replaced OCS for me because I think it's, it's a cleaner, more elegant system. OCS is great. I enjoy it, but I think BCS is even better. So any negative, I think it's just going to be the fiddliness. Uh, the big stacks can be you know, mm-hmm. annoying. I mean, there are a lot of times on OCS that I literally don't even know where my supply is on the map because it's buried under like 19 other counters. And I've got an airfield there with three airplanes that have to either go on top of the airfield or under the airfield, depending on whether they've flown or not. It's very fiddly. There's, there's no question about that. And that can be annoying. Yeah. I, 
agree 100% with what you said, and I'm glad you brought up the BCS comment because you mentioned that on, on the Discord, and I wanted mm-hmm. to dig into that deeper. And so I guess when you say BCS has replaced OCS, that's not so much a knock on OCS no. as it's just BCS is that good. Yeah, and BCS feels like the next iteration of OCS. I mean, it almost feels like OCS 2.0, the sequel. You know, they And even in some of the newer OCS games, I don't want to say they're... Well, there are some things that almost feel like they're moving toward BCS. For example, in um, Hungarian Rhapsody, which is the, the, the Hungarian Budapest and all that, um, you you don't have to track supply from the map edge anymore. You get a front marker, and your front marker can move forward. And then you can just start doing your supply from the front marker rather than, you know, I've made mm. all this progress... But now I have, you know, 58 hexes to go to get my supply out of the map. Even with railroads, it's a pain in the ass. If I, if I know that everything comes to the front, then that makes it easier. That's super interesting. That changes kind of the east coast of Korea a little bit where you Absolutely have to, would, that yeah. becomes a huge concern. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm not a, in any way an expert to know whether, you know, that, that front marker in Hungarian Rhapsody is specific to the way the Russians were doing their logistics. You know, obviously we know historically that um, the, the Koreans didn't have the supply to get all the way into Busan. Um, And in Hungarian Rhapsody specifically, it's still, it's not, it doesn't make supply easier per se, because the Russians are at the end of their supply lines in that game. It just changes the way you have to fiddle with it. I assume you still pay for attacks and fuel. Oh, it's yeah, just, absolutely. It's your, tra- it's your yeah. trace supply. The yep. the concept we're talking about in OCS is called trace supply, yep. which is basically making sure you haven't overextended. Yep. Okay, so it's only trace supply. You're still paying the cost. I like that. Yep. I think that's a, a fine. Yeah, and then BCS basically just, you know, to close the loop on this simplifies it even further, but BCS um, you basically just have to keep your supply lines clean and that, that keeps you, and there is like a, a a train marker, they call it um, that your supply trains, you have to keep those in order. Those can get overrun, which is huge part of BCS strategy. Um, And not only do you have to keep your supply lines clean back to your side of the map, but even clean between your different formations. If you start intermingling them, you start having problems. I think what has happened with me over time with OCS is when I started to play it, I wanted all of it. I didn't care what it was. Yeah. (laughs) And then Hungarian Rhapsody came out and I didn't play it. And then the turning point for me was third winner. Yeah. And it was this... I really like OCS, but I don't know if I need third winner has small scenarios. Don't get me wrong, but it's a big old game. And I was like, I think I'm just fine with the topics that interest me. And there are some very interesting OCS topics on the horizon. And I'm sure there are for BCS as well, but there is a, uh, uh, a finish one coming up in there. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a whole, will that cover, uh, Leningrad as well? I don't know. Okay. Um, cause there's, it's part of the same design as like the third winter where I think the third winter can be combined with the other ones from that designer, which is, uh, Anthony Briquette's doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an OCS, I forget what he calls himself, but it's chip 
Saltzman does a kind of newsletter updating on where OCS yeah, stands. Yeah, so, system. That yeah, so you can track that down if I if I remember, I'll put put it in the show notes. Anyways, I've cooled my jets. All that to say, I've cooled my jets a little bit on OCS, but that's not to say if something comes, if it's the right topic, the right war. I still very much love OCS. Yeah, I I absolutely love OCS. I just I think BCS is just that much better. Sure, sure. So the if any negatives, I would say it is a fiddly system, um, but it is what it is. Okay, well, and I will say in this particular game, it's not as fiddly as some of the other ones. Like the Eastern Front games, mm-hmm. those are a bear. I mean, you can have. 10 counter stacks and you have like you know 18 hexes in a row that are full of them and (laughs) good luck finding your supply in there (laughs) this one is not as bad no i i would agree with that and just by there may be some dense moments when like all the forces storm on like Mm -hmm. because there's there's an option you have where the North Koreans, if they don't stay in the Pusan perimeter long enough by a certain deadline, all the U.S. forces come in at once. So, sure, maybe in that situation, you could have it more dense. But I, I agree. I agree. Yep. Okay. We have a list. There is a list. There is a list. A ranking of every war game ever made, ranked from worst. No, ranked from best to worst. And at last count, we were at 54 games, Rich. This will be. This will be fifty-five, and so Rich and I Double are merely <laughs> Rich and I are merely the sculptors of the clay that is the list. We merely apply our hands. We don't to even the know wet- what we're doing. We blindfold nope. ourselves and see what happens. Yes, Rich wraps <laughs> his arms around me, and we both put our hands. We both put our hands on the clay, and whatever shape uh, unfolds itself is is the list. And so our job now is to find a home for next war nope our job is to find a home for korea the forgotten war not next war korea i'm already sensing a problem here okay so we have <laughs> let's before we have two ocs koreas on the list no we OCS have two, games. oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> ocs games blitzkrieg legend and beyond the rhine mm-hmm. those are ocs entries so far yeah. you have not played either of those right correct uh, all right so, Beyond the Rhine, tiny, tiny bit. Okay. Yeah. I so this West is Greek legend. That's this really is way better. Right. Than is that like the initial an assault yeah. of the Netherlands? Yeah. But this, I do. There are some things of Blitzkrieg Legend I really like. I would much rather play Korea nine times out of ten. So this is better than Blitzkrieg Legend. Yeah. When I ranked Beyond the Rhine, I thought it was the best OCS offering for me. Yeah. And the question is, is Korea better than that? Yeah. And Beyond what the Rhine. Think? So here, here's, I mean, Beyond the Rhine is Battle of the Bulge, right? I want to make sure I'm not getting the wrong one. It is, but the Bulge is like six hexes on a massive map. Yeah. It is so much bigger than just, but okay. you could do the Bulge, and, but and, yeah. And honestly, that's where I'm getting with this. Beyond the Rhine, the scope of it, like if you were making a movie and you wanted to like show like some crazy war game on a table beyond the Rhine would be a great one to put on the table. Mm. I mean, huge, impressive map. It's going to have lots of stacks of counters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's everything that you would think of as a heavy war game. 
Yeah, that's probably fair. It's four mapper yeah. on the full campaign. Yeah. Maybe more. I yeah, I think Anyways, that one is yeah. more actually. But yeah. yes, it's 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 big, it's deep, it's intense. Yeah. All right, so below beyond the Rhine is Red Storm, which I love. See, here's why I think we're running into a problem. Okay, what's what's the problem? So let's let's even just throw let's so Blitzkrieg Legend twenty beyond the round five. Let's just, for example, call those our bookends. Sure. So Korea. I don't know. I'm, I'm when I look at when I take OCS out of the equation and I look at Dian Bien Phu. I think Dian Bien Phu is a better game than OCS Korea. Okay, I think you're right, and that's actually where I'm looking. Which I guess is a way of saying that Beyond the Rhine is at least for now, the creme de la creme yeah. of OCS. It has the wow factor. It has the random events table. It has the chrome that I want to see. This very much feels like Korea. I find the Korean conflict very interesting. It's a wonderful game. I don't know if it has that just like finishing touch. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, there are some things like Dian Bien Phu and even Nevsky underneath it, those are mold breakers. You know, there, there's something about each of those two games that make them different from other war games that make them stand out. Sure. OCS Korea. I don't think it has that. And I I mean, to go down to next war Vietnam, next war Vietnam doesn't have that. So I think I'm talking myself into putting it probably at 14. So, which which you're weighing you're weighing OCS Korea against Nevsky. Yeah, I might split hairs with you there. Yeah. What I think this will eventually come down to, Rich, is I think I would argue hard that it's below Dian Bien Phu. Yes, I agree. I agree. But Dian I Bien wouldn't argue hard that it's below Nevsky. So a little bit of this, this is guessing because if you listen to the old episodes, I know I said that I think Korea will be the best OCS game on the list. Yeah. I don't think that's the case after spending more time with it and refamiliarizing myself with it. Now, I probably should refamiliarize myself with Beyond the Rhine, and so maybe it's rose-tinted glasses, but what I'm getting at is I will predict that in four years or whatever time frame you want to use, Nevsky may not be the best levying campaign entry. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise it was me the first. It's the first one, yeah, yeah. Right. And th- I mean, like like we were talking about with Hungarian Rhapsody, OCS has has made changes to make its own system better. Like at, they're on four point three of the rulebook, so right. You have new designers, fresh eyes on it. Yep. So for me, I would give the slight edge to OCS Korea with the understanding that. Nevsky stands on its own. You don't get OCS Korea without all the years of sure. the past entries. And so Nevsky is so much more innovative. What was because... the first OCS game? Just to pull us off topic there. <laughs> That's a good question. It was something it... in Africa, right? I don't know. Enemy at the Gates, maybe? Oh, Guderian's Blitzkrieg was the first oh, one. Gee. Then okay. Enemy at the Gates, then Tunisia. Okay. All right. So East Front, then Africa. Sorry to now I'll make a bold prediction us. that the the time I play Dak when when I play Dak uh-huh. or Dak two I think Dak or Dak two will be my favorite yeah that's my prediction for now okay so that being said I just I I would put OCS Korea just above Nevsky okay 
13. It's a good spot. And some of that I also think gets into, I really like Nevsky, which, okay, that's, they're both operational games. Uh-huh. Nevsky is, the operations are what really, really matter. The combat sure. isn't as, quite as satisfying either, right? Because it's this very simple it's, combat. It's kind of weird, to, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's more of a focus of the operations and supply, which OCS obviously does. Sure. But then it's like, oh, okay, and here's our very easy combat, which is fine. All right, there you go, folks. Korea, the Forgotten War, um, ranked 13th, which... You realize what you just did, Matt? What's that? You just made our list of games that we have to review even longer. That's right. How does that work, Rich? Well, we're up to 55 now, which means we have to do at least 55 more games, but we can stop if we both review every game that we own. But you just got two new games in, and we did one game. I know. So Yeah, it's it's a problem. (laughs) We're losing ground. <laughs> I think uh, your daughter and my daughter are going to continue this podcast for That's right. us. <laughs> Our legacy. I, I'll remind folks that, you know, this hair splitting between 13 and 14 and Nevsky and Korea, they're both fantastic. Our list is so top heavy. I mean, really, you have to get, and we, we did an exercise on this. Like, I think you're getting down to like Angola as the drop off of like solid games and then like you hit good games and then there's a few real stinkers mm-hmm. and one really bad game to round out the list. <laughs> so good, good stuff. Normally this would be the time of the show where we plug our Patreon, patreon.com slash history table. And we talk about how you have to go vote for the games we're going to pick and Rich and I are going to stump for a game, but we have planned out the rest of the year. We have. And so next up, what do we have rich? Uh, next up is second fleet. It is the What's year after of that? Naval Wargaming, after all. Second Fleet is about, oh, we'll say mid-80s naval operations up north in Finland and the North Sea, up around that area. Yeah, so Northern Atlantic. It's the Northern Russian Fleet against, uh, well, Second Fleet. Yeah. Yeah, and that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Remind me, you have not played Fleet, any of the fleets, right? I have not, nope. Oh, man, you're going to love these, I'm Rich. sure I will. They're yeah. so good. So good. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Pacific War. Yeah, in December. Up in December, when we are going to crown a new number one. Oh, did I say that out loud? Whoa! <laughs> you know, one thing I we also have coming up in December is um, end of the year stuff. We have that yeah. to deal with. Sure. Then, when you mentioned BCS overtaking OCS, I think we should do an episode on favorite game systems. Yeah. And, and rank those somehow, yep. at least like a top five or something. Yeah. I mean, looking at number two and three on our list, we know one's going to be high. Yeah, right. I mean, oh, three yeah. and four, I guess. Two, three, and four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Three and four are both from GCACW yeah. is what you're saying. Yep. I smell what you're stepping in. So good. <laughs> yeah, we, gotta, we still have uh, plenty of stuff to talk about for the remainder of the year. Yeah. But even though you don't get to pick next month's game, you can still join Patreon. Yeah, and more importantly, join our Discord. And we have two patron members that are wisely choosing their patron picks, by the way. I was talking to one of them, and uh, he specifically wanted time to chew on it to make sure his choice was wise and well thought out. Which I do wonder, is he... I think most people shoot for the top. Like, if I was doing that, I would, like, pick my favorite. I would be like, (laughs) talk about the U.S. Civil War. Yeah. But then it would also be interesting if someone shot for the bottom. Like, they want, like, a new stinker. 
a new Zep one Raider. Mm, that's just mean. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we have plenty to talk about by the end of the year. We also have plenty to talk about for the night, rest of the show. One thing we mentioned, I'll just plug it real quick. Kansas City Historical Gaming Group, last Saturday of every month at Tabletop and Cardboard Corner Cafe. There's a channel for that in our Discord. There's a Google Groups. There's all kinds of ways to get informed about that. And then MMP is having a sale, but by the time you hear this, I think it'll be over. But just in case, uh, go check out MMP's sale. There was some now. interesting. Oh, MMP sale. I was thinking of the. Uh, oh, the... Legion is having a sale. Yeah. And that's going on longer. And GMT announced that they're going to have a sale, but I can't remember what it's going to be. So. And I think that's in November. But it's so Legion so, yeah. War Games has a sale. Uh, LegionWarGames.com. They've got a sale running right now. So go check that out. Okay. Now, I'm very excited for this spooky season. Spooky. Have, I you, don't... have you seen Midnight Club? We are watching it now. Okay. We're not done with it. I haven't watched it yet. I'm okay. going to just because I like Flanagan. Yes. But I haven't heard good things about it so far. So far, it is my least favorite. Yeah. But I would still watch it. Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, like, I'm going to watch it. My daughter, who, it's funny, she she just got turned on to it, like, I'm going to say less than two months ago, and she's burned through all four of them already. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were actually just talking about it last night. This is my adult daughter, not my 13-year-old. <laughs> she she was saying that she thinks Midnight Club might be more applicable to people her age, her age than my age. Yeah. And you're kind of in the middle, so. And what's the next one? Fall of the House of Usher, is that right? Is that a Flanagan one? Yeah, I think it I is. Think that's yeah, what's coming, I think that's what's coming up next from him. Yeah. And, and then... Guillermo del Toro has something, but I couldn't find out where it is called... Like, Cabinet, Cabinet of Curiosities. Yeah, where is that? Netflix. It's on Netflix. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I've, so, yeah. I've heard that that's really good. So, what are, we, what are we watching during... So, I don't know which year I started this. I think I did it the year before you joined, maybe the year before that. But it's just... Every time Halloween rolls around... I make an effort to obviously you watch spooky stuff, but then I also try to read stuff. And in the past it's been a lot of uh, Southern Gothic horror. Yeah. So that's why we're talking about midnight club cabinet of curiosities. I, we almost started it. We had some friends over last night for bonfire and, and spooky movies. We almost started that, but I think it's like with del Toro, is it going to be a slow burn? Like, is it going to be right. artsy and, and which is good. I enjoy his stuff, but like pan's labyrinth, isn't something I'm going to throw around a bonfire when you're, you know, drinking beers and hanging out with your friends. Yeah. So I, I will watch that and we'll continue with, with Midnight Club. So I think we talked about this last year, but you've seen the other Flanagans, right? You've seen Bly Manor. The first three. Yes, House, I've seen all those. And uh-huh. Midnight, and Midnight Mass. Mass. Yep. All right. So rank those three. Uh, Hill House, Midnight Mass, Bly Manor. Okay, so I would I would swap the bottom two, and I know I'm in, I think I'm in the minority yeah. there. I I really like the characters and just the development of them in Bly Manor, yeah. but um, yeah, Midnight they're all like some of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, and yeah, if you're unfamiliar with those, I think start with Haunting the Hill House, Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, I would just on go Netflix. and watch them in order, honestly. Yeah, which is Hill House, Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, and Midnight Club. That's the order they've been released in hill house is by far the scariest yeah and best i think yeah oh, it's, man, it's just so <laughs> i think i really think it's one of the, my favorite tv shows of all time yeah it's pretty good but, 
easily top 10. Yeah. I did watch another show that's kind of spooky and weird uh, called The Watcher. I'm pretty sure this was on Netflix, too. Yeah, Um, And this one is, I mean, very, very loosely uh, based on a real sort of unsolved mystery, which the the real unsolved mystery is probably a very minor thing. And then they turned it into like an eight episode series. And (laughs) it wasn't amazing, life changing, but it was it was a fun little mystery, spooky, creepy mystery where you know, you never, you didn't know who was gonna, who was gonna be to blame. And then, you know, we still don't really know. So, um, it's not, I wouldn't give it my highest recommendation, but I wouldn't shy anyone away from it either. It was decent. How like pop out jump scary was it? Uh, almost zero. Oh, okay. Yeah. So more like suspense thriller. Yeah. More like, you know, looking out the window to see who's looking back at you, the kind of thing. Okay, yep. but not many jump scares. Yeah, I can think of one for sure. That's the only one that I can really think of. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's talk books. And I almost had time to start a Southern Gothic horror, but I went with, uh, I think the theme this year was just more strange and occult stuff, kind of the, you know, Cthulhu mythos Mm -hmm. types of stuff Um, so the first thing that kicked off my spooky season was the tinfoil dossier which is a series of books by Caitlin Kiernan they're very short like they're novelettes yeah the first one's called agents of dreamland and there's one kind of main character called the signalman and it's this weird kind of like other agent that is like present in all time periods and a lot of foreshadowing of some really awful nasty things to come with some very blatant Lovecraftian Cthulhu stuff weird space clouds it was really fun super fun read very short agents of dreamland it's just Lovecraftian horror modern Lovecraftian horror really well done yeah I don't read a whole lot of scary books mostly just because scary to me requires a visual element that books don't often provide but often mm. especially this time of the year i will i will listen to more lovecraft stories so there's a, a few stories sometimes I'll, I'll try to find one that i haven't heard or haven't heard in a while and then there's a few that i just kind of always go back to that i really love so yeah i i don't i'm not like i wasn't the kid in high school that read a, a whole bunch of stephen king it's just something that just over the last few years i've made an effort to read spooky stuff yeah and I don't very rarely do I get scared by right. by reading, but I do find it interesting. So the next book I read, um, this came recommended recommended to me by our our buddy Jason, is from an author who wrote a book called Those Across the River, which is Southern Gothic horror. And I want to read that, but I went with this other one first, which is Between Two Fires, mm-hmm. which is a horror book set in the medieval black plague as a backdrop um and it's pretty good so far i'm not deep enough in to like tell you what exactly is going on um but it's got some very dark characters to start and so it's horror set during the plague times and it's got angels and demons and uh, it's good between two fires so like now (laughs) yeah got him yeah yeah cool and that's it. That's 
Yeah. My, uh, my 13 year old daughter is having some friends over tomorrow and we were, my wife and I were trying to find a, a scary movie for them that is scary, but not, you know, we don't want it to be over top bloody to have 13 year old kids come over for stuff like that. So I think we're actually going to show them the Blair Witch Project. Oh, nice. I think that'll be fun, which that one was one. I, I did not see it in theaters and I think I lost a lot of the, the goodness of it. Um, seeing it at home on DVD or VCR probably at the time. Sure. Those, um, rather than seeing it in the theaters, but I think they're going to have a good time. We're going to turn off the lights, make them watch it in the dark. They're going to enjoy it. You know, another one that would be good like that because it's all in black and white, at least the first one. And part of it was seen in theaters. Yeah. Is paranormal activity. So that's another one we thought about. Um, there's no blood in that until the very last scene. Okay. But, okay. Oh, it's I been a while. I love that movie. That is a fantastic mentally. Yeah. Scary when those movie. came out, yeah. they were just like so creepy. Yeah. They were really well done. Oh, yeah. But nice. Yeah. We had a last night with the bonfire. We, we talked with all our favorites and like one of the couples said like every horror movie apparently they've watched and they gave us some good recommendations um there's a new one on hbo max uh-huh that was in theaters um dang i don't know if you've oh this is a good tv i don't even know what it's called now dang <laughs> okay whatever don't worry about it okay speaking of hbo max though um i never saw is it called cthulhu country or something like that yeah i need to watch that sometime yeah, so here's um I really liked it. I think unfortunately there's probably a group of people that won't like it. Yeah. And well, I don't really care that they don't like it. <laughs> so, that's fine. And the book is good. I I have some slight issues with the book. I do like the book more. Um I would almost read the book first. Oh, okay. But Interesting. You, you probably they're different enough. Yeah, the it's pretty cool. Um, they're different enough, but I I really enjoyed uh, Cthulhu or Lovecraft Country. Sorry. Lovecraft Country is that was called. Okay, I knew yeah, it was yeah. something like that. Nice. Okay, any other spooky stuff, Rich? <sighs> no, I don't have the any r- other spooky stuff. There's no spooky war games, unfortunately. Well, there is the one coming from Herman Lutman, right? The solo game with the from GMT. Which one is that? The well, now I got a live Google. <laughs> <sighs> it's like the escape from whatever island. It's got like the zombies on the. Okay, all right. So we'll see how spooky it is. <laughs> the real, the real horror this year is not registering early for historic <laughs> fest. Oh, oh no! Oh. It cost me an extra ten dollars, and I had to wait all and day to a pick Stein. my free game. And a Stein. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, you need to you need to put that Stein out there more. Yeah, well, I got to get the finished artwork. I'm, Okay. And all that stuff, but yeah. How long uh, is uh, early registration good for? That's a great question. <laughs> so it'll be open for a while, but it is limited, and there are a set number of limited early registrations. We're also doing a new thing, a trial run of this. Because ASL devotees are so devoted to ASL, <laughs> in talking with the KCASL group, there are ASL players that just want to play ASL, and that's all they care about. Yep. And so... Brought to you by the Kansas City ASL Group is an ASL-only badge. And that is exactly what it is. You don't get the food or drink. You don't get the everyone's prizes. The only prizes you get are through by playing ASL stuff. And you're just there to play ASL. And you want to play ASL in the summer of Kansas City. So there are ASL-only tickets at a reduced price. There are only 16 of those, though. 
limited number of early bird, limited number of ASL only, and then we do have a cat barn attendance as well this year, so which is one twenty five, I believe. I'll be sold out this month. <laughs> if, hey, then the reason why, if everyone's like, that's ten months away, what are <laughs> these fools doing? Early registration helps us out so much with budgeting and planning and providing exact numbers of sponsors and vendors. So if you know you're going to come in 2023, which all of you should be there, sign up. It really helps the planning process, and it also really helps my stress level. That's the reason to do it. Help that out. <laughs> yeah. We all have enough stress in our life. We don't <laughs> need to wonder how many people are going to attend your crazy event. I'm really looking forward to Here I Stand is definitely going to happen. That's one of my must-dos Okay, cool. Oh, speaking of that, I'm playing that next Saturday. I always play nice. this time of year because – you know, uh, Halloween is Reformation Day. That's when it all happened. So right. I always play either like this weekend or next weekend. This can be next Saturday. I'm playing Here I Stand. Nice. Do you know your faction yet? Uh, I think I'm stuck with the Habsburgs, <laughs> which is fine. I don't mind playing them, but I've never honestly, played I, so I host and I always let everyone else pick first. And that's what I ended up with, which I don't mind at all. I just... I've played them a couple of times in a row. You know, I don't know if I'm going to get my December game in this year. Sad. Really? Well, yeah, because in the past, what I've been able to do is, you know, we close down the office at work and we're still doing that. Uh-huh. Um, but then I suggest to my wife, like, hey, your brother's in town. You should all go over there. Yeah. And, you know, spend time with your family and I'll stay home. <laughs> um, but I think I think her family is traveling to see sibling uh, instead so i have which is fine that's you know a week home from work that i'll get some great family time in but i think that means no here i stand yeah well i'm hoping to get in a twilight imperium game sometime over the holidays nice. but that'll be like christmas new year time assuming we can find a time but here i stand is definitely on next week that's awesome yeah. well on next on monday no, that's not right, because Monday's Halloween. The Monday after next, and then every Monday through November is Second Fleet action. Excellent. So you're going to play with someone online, or what are you going to do? Yep. you going to stream yep. it? Or- uh, you know what? I'll check with them. Yeah. I, I leave it up to the people I play with. If they want me to stream it, then I'll, I'll turn the stream on. Cool. And I don't know. I need to. I'm playing with Jason. I need to touch base with them to see which. Jason um, from AAC? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he's a big fan of. Well, I when might they watch did their that top just 10. so I can, you know, because I'll be, I've never played it. I'll be sort of teaching myself, probably will only be playing solitaire. So it'll be nice to watch someone and make sure I'm not doing anything. You should bug stupid. Mitch because Mitch is a huge fan of the fleet stuff as well, I think. Yeah, I might do that. You know, he's local and there you go. You know, fleet has, has made it on a couple different top 20 um, votes. I won't tell you who, because that'd be spoilers, but. Um, Fleet has some representation in the history on the table yeah. community top twenty. Yeah, I know people like it. I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be good, good stuff. All right, folks. Uh, do we have anything we need to plug? Anything else for, from you, Rich? No. Uh, I mean, St. Louis historical gamers. We've we've got a monthly game day too, third Saturday of every month at Miniature Market. So, look at that. You can go third Saturday of the month in St. Louis, yep. and then 
take a week to get to Kansas City <laughs> and then show up at the Kansas City Historical Gaming Group. There you go. Third Saturday, St. Louis, last Saturday. Be tricky in the weeks that there's five, the months that there's five Saturdays, I guess. I can figure it out. Yeah, sure. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, thank you to everyone who supports the show. Thank you especially to all of our patrons and to everyone who, you know, lets someone know, hey, check out History on the Table. Uh, join our Discord. There's a link to that in the show notes. Get your votes in by November 17th. I'll do a reminder plug. But get your ballots in so we can have some fun talking about everyone else's top 20 games. We have a website, historyonthetable.com. There's some new stuff up there with uh, Judd Vance, some different articles, all that stuff's up there. You can find Rich and I on Twitter, Rich. Trapeer Jr. But as Rich says every episode, I think the best way to interact with us is by joining the Discord. Yeah. If you want to interact with me on Twitter, it's at HistoryTablePod. And if you want to learn more about myself you can go to historytable.com slash about us where i have updated my bio and no matter how much i bug rich he still is an international man of mystery who refuses to plug his or give me his bio i'm sorry i think my internet cut out what was that again it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna do it for us folks <laughs> we'll be back next month second fleet yeah <laughs> excellent can't wait to do it I'm going to update my bio to say I'm currently playing second fleet. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, folks. Good night, everyone.